How's everybody? Awesome. Um, we are on week nine of our sermon series that is coinciding with our community group, community group reading uh, from this book, Dane Ortland's Gentle and Lowly. So if you are reading this week, um, that is chapters 19 through 21. Uh, so if you're in today, this afternoon's group, you've got three chapters to read by 4.30 today. Um, or if you're meeting Thursday, you've got three chapters to read by Thursday. So you're, you're, in, good, you're in good form. Um, so the, the emphasis that uh, is, is kind of taking place in, from chapter 19 and in accordance with our worship service day is the theme of mercy. Um, and uh, we've, we've heard from Ephesians uh, 2. 1 through 10, we'll, we'll come to that passage a little bit later in the, in the sermon today. But I, I wanted to stay in the Old Testament because I've, I've really enjoyed kind of being in the Old Testament talking about these themes. Um, and, I, and I wanted to, to hammer this idea of mercy, and I wanted to do it within the context of some other things that kind of come up again and again when you're reading this book is, okay, yes, I, I man, the, the love and the compassion and the mercy, the Father, yes, um, isn't there a judgment side of this? Isn't there, like, what about all that? So I, I want to, I'm going to touch on those things, and I want to do it through a little bit of different ways. So for the next four weeks, we're going to stay in the Old Testament. We're going to look at the book of Jonah, okay, um, which is a book about God's mercy um, in, in the context of, of, of judgment and wrath and all those other things. So we're going we're gonna to focus in on the book of Jonah. So if you'll turn in your Bibles to Jonah, Okay, that's uh, in your Old Testament. It's Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk. I'm trying to say Zephaniah. Okay, and I'm done. I'm going to stop there. Um, so, but it's Obadiah and then in Jonah, um, an Old Testament prophet with a really fascinating story that all of us can engage with and, and marvel about. Jonah chapter 1. Let's stand together, and I'm going to read... Um, the first uh, few verses out of chapter 1 together. Jonah chapter 1. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Get up, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because their evil has come up before me. Jonah got up to flee to Tarshish from the Lord's presence. He went down to Joppa, and he found a ship going to Tarshish, and he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the Lord's presence. But the Lord threw a great wind onto the sea, and such a great storm arose on the sea that the ship threatened to break it apart. The sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his God, They threw the ship's cargo into the sea to lighten the load. Meanwhile, Jonah had gone down to the lowest part of the vessel and had stretched out and fallen into a deep sleep. The captain approached him and said, What are you doing sound asleep? Get up, call to your God. Maybe this God will consider us and we won't perish. Come on, the sailors said to each other, let's cast lots. Then we'll know who is to blame for this trouble that we're in. So they cast lots and the lot singled out. Jonah. Then they said to him, tell us who is to blame for this trouble we're in. What is your business? Where are you from? What is your country? What people are you from? 
He answered them, I'm a Hebrew. I worship the Lord, the God of the heavens, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were seized by a great fear, and they said to him, What is this you've done? The men knew he was fleeing from the Lord's presence because he had told them. So they said to him, What should we do to you that the sea will calm down for us? For the sea was getting worse and worse, and he answered them, Pick me up, throw me into the sea, so that it will be calmed down for you. For I know that I'm to blame for this great storm that is against you. Then nevertheless... The men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they couldn't because the sea was raging against them more and more. So they called out to the Lord, Please, Lord, don't let us perish because of this man's life. Don't charge us with innocent blood, for you, Lord, have done just as you pleased. Then they picked up Jonah and threw him into the sea, and the sea stopped its raging. The men were seized by great fear of the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord, and they made vows. The Lord appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of this fish three days and three nights. This is the word of the Lord. You may be be seated. I was was an Eagle Scout growing up. Any, Any Eagle Scouts in here? Any Boy Scouts, Eagle Scouts? Congratulations. It, you're, in, you're, you're on the path. Um, excellent. I, this was uh, one, one way my parents had of keeping a 12 and 13-year-old boy out of trouble um, in rural Mississippi. It was a good plan. Uh, gave me, get, kept me very focused, surrounded me with some good guys and some good men. And uh, we, would, we would go on these hiking trips and camping trips from time to time. And one time we, we took a longer drive into Arkansas to go to this you know, particular place to, to camp out. And on these drives, we're all crammed into minivans and whatnot. We would play these games because we didn't have iPhones and, 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 and Nintendo devices. and Those things didn't exist yet. Our generation would create those for you. Uh, you're welcome. Uh, so... Because of the experiences like this, we would just sit there and either read a book or maybe we had Walkmans. We did have Walkmans. And uh, we would play little, because we're 12, 13, 14 years old, we would play these games where we would inflict pain on one another intentionally until somebody would finally cry out for mercy, right? So you would, you know, grab hands and just bend and twist and bend and twist or do those kinds of things. Or we would play pluck. So you'd put your fist out, take my ring off so I don't hurt myself, put your, you know, and, and the one person would you know, thump your, your, your pinky. or they, they could do anything, but they would go for the pinky because that was the more delicate spot. And you would just take turns until finally you had had enough and you would cry out for mercy and this game would, 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 be, would be over. What I found in playing those games is that I was very good at crying out for mercy when I needed it, but I was very reluctant to give mercy when others needed it. Uh, I, don't, I don't know if you've had that same experience about yourself, but that's what I've discovered. Even now, so Abby and Luke, my youngest, eight and six, they're kind of getting to that age where they feel like maybe they can take me if they team up. Um, and, and so that's like their favorite thing to do is to see if they can, you know, win. Uh, and, you know, I, I kind of let them, you know, get away with it for a little while. And finally I rise up, you know, in, in my power, in my, in my strength. And I just tickle the fire out of them until they can't breathe. And Luke says, Dad, I can't breathe. I can't breathe. And th- there's that moment, like, should I stop? You know what I mean? Like, should I have any mercy on him? Uh, so what about, what about you? Think about the degree in, in real life, right? 
when, when, when you have the opportunity to be compassionate, when you have the opportunity to be merciful, how, how, just how much does that come to the forefront of your life when someone is obstinate toward you or antagonistic toward you or hostile toward you? When, when we are in a position to offer hope, to offer kindness, to offer generosity, to offer compassion, to offer mercy to someone who deserves the opposite, what do we do, right? And what about God? Well, this is coming from Jonah chapter 1. What I want to show you today, first and foremost, primarily all the way through, is that God offers mercy. God is a merciful God. And by mercy, I, I mean He does not give us what we deserve. And he uses mercy as an opportunity to do grace, which is giving us abundantly more than what we actually deserve. Abundantly good. So look with me at Jonah chapter 1, verse 1. Let's look through this chapter together. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. If you... Consider the rest of the Old Testament. This is not the first time that Jonah existed as a prophet. It wasn't the first time that he got a word from the Lord. Um, He was given a word in 2 Kings 14. So if you'll just mark your spot. Go back to 2 Kings in your Bible, chapter 14. I moved my ribbon foolishly. 2 Kings 14, verse 23. 2 Kings 14, verse 23. There's my ribbon. Got that mark. Um, Jonah got, had, he, he had, there's another text in the Bible where he got to preach is what I'm trying to, to demonstrate here for you. And it's in Jonah, 2 Kings chapter 14, verse 23. And we're going to look at verses uh, 27. And this message is a message of mercy. It's a message of compassion. Um, it's a message of, of grace. Uh, look at 2 Kings chapter 14, verse, verse 23. This is around the year 780 B.C. In the 15th year of Judah's king Amaziah, son of Joash, Jeroboam's son of Jehoash, became king of Israel in Samaria, and he reigned for 41 years. Under, verse 24. He did what was evil in the Lord's sight for 41 years. He did not turn away from all the sins that Jeroboam, son of Nebat, had caused Israel to commit. He, going, going back to the, the original game, he restored Israel's border from Libahamath as far as the Sea of Arabah. According to the word of the Lord, the God of Israel had spoken through a servant, the prophet Jonah, son of Amittai from Gath-Hefer. For the Lord saw that the affliction of Israel was very bitter... For both slaves and free people, and there was no one to help Israel. The Lord had not said He would blot out the name of Israel. Instead, He would show mercy. He would deliver them by the hand of Jeroboam, son of Jehoash. So here in verse 24, you have a a, a king, Jeroboam II. He and his father were very evil. They were very idolatrous, and they led the country to be very evil and very idolatrous. And Jonah, as a prophet of the Lord, came to them not with a message of judgment, not with a message of, of harshness, but with a, mes- with a message of mercy. 
He was given by the Lord a message of compassion. He was given a word of grace. What a, what a privilege for Jonah. To, to, to be in that position, to recognize the, 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 the absolute evil of the culture that he's preaching, and instead of stepping into that place, instead of having a message of, you all are going to a very bad place. Instead, it is, God loves you. He recognizes the pain that you're in under the leadership that you have, and He comes to you recognizing, with, He comes to you with mercy, He comes to you with compassion, He comes to you with grace, He comes to you with those things. It was a wonderful sermon for Jonah to preach. Who would, if you're in that position and you're an Israelite and you're in that position and Jonah comes to you with that message, you got to love Jonah, right? Everybody's like, man, we love Jonah. He's so kind. He's so gracious. He, he tells us about how much God loves us, merciful and compassionate, et cetera, et cetera, even though we don't deserve it. Everybody loves Jonah. And for that reason, for Jonah, it's a very easy message to preach because it's his own people and it's a message of relief. It's a message of mercy. What a pleasure. What a great first preaching assignment. My first preaching assignment was a True Love Waits campaign in a Southern Baptist church in Traveler's Rest, South Carolina. And because I didn't really understand the gospel, I gave 17 things you could do instead of doing what you want to do when true love is trying hard not to wait. 17 things. You could go for a run. You could go, I mean, this, that was my sermon. I didn't even need my Bible. How sad is that? Jonah's first message was the gospel. God loves you and he is compassionate and merciful towards you. And for that reason, it was a very, maybe I'm going to say, it was an, uh, a relatively pleasure to preach that message. And if you keep reading in 2 Kings, what you will find is that God's grace and mercy and compassion didn't really have the desired effect on its people. They became even more selfish and more greedy and more idolatrous. And all that they could think about was money and political power and uh, their personal pleasure. And eventually there is uh, the, the exile, right, for the people. They didn't respond to God's mercy the way that you would hope and, and the, the way that it would be intended. So here's Jonah now with a new prophetic assignment in this book that we have. How does it compare with this first one? Look at verse 2. Get up, go to the great city of Nineveh, and preach against it because their evil has come before me. Now let's, let's put this in perspective. I want to put it in Jonah's perspective. So... Uh, Weren't the problems in the northern kingdom enough? They're God's chosen people, right? Uh, aren't, 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 aren't they more important than Nineveh? Why this pagan city? What, what use, by the way, what's Jonah's relationship to Nineveh, right? He's from Amittai. He's never left home. He's never gone to a pagan city like Nineveh. Doesn't God understand that the people of Nineveh really need to hear the word of the Lord from a Nineveh guy? Somebody who gets it. And by the way, Lord, I'm not the negative guy. You remember my first preaching assignment? I'm more of the mercy guy. I'm more of the compassion guy. I don't want to go up and preach against anybody, much less these people that I don't 
No, none of it makes any sense if you're Jonah. It's just contrary to what he's circumstantially understood about his calling. And I don't know about you, but when something doesn't make sense to me coming from the outside, I like to do what makes sense to me coming from the inside. And that's exactly what Jonah did. If you look at verse 3, Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Fascinating way of describing it, isn't it? He went down to Joppa, found a ship going to Tarshish. He paid the fare, went down to it, got with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. So why would Jonah flee? He is not scared of traveling to a foreign country. Nineveh? Nope, no, nope. He's heading off to Tarshish, which, by the way, is a whole lot farther away than Nineveh. He's not embarrassed about preaching in general. This is his profession. He's not afraid. I don't think he was afraid of what he preached might not come to pass. Uh, Jonah knew firsthand that God was merciful and that his message of judgment might lead to mercy from God. Maybe something like that is it. Maybe Jonah fled because he didn't want God to be merciful to the Ninevites. Maybe God would actually be who God says that he is. And Jonah did not think that the Ninevites deserved it. The word of God, and they, quite unlike the Israelites, repented and became people of God's favor. Yes, that is why Jonah fled. That is why he left, because he only wanted a certain kind of person to know God's mercy, a certain kind of person to know God's compassion, a certain kind of person to know that God loves them. Do you have it in your life, those people that you just... I don't, do I even need to finish that sentence? I'm having trouble finishing that sentence. Like, you're just not even going to give them a chance. And, you, and it's quite okay with you if God doesn't love them. If we're being honest, Jonah was honest. And so he ran. He didn't want to be any part of what God had in mind. The way through this is to understand that you are a Ninevite. The, the way through this is to understand that I am a Ninevite. That, that in as much as when it comes to who I am and who God is, I'm a Ninevite and He's a God of mercy. He's a God of compassion. That I was, was, um, that I was nurtured and formed and have always been born as someone who lived in a city that was hostile to who God is. But God... But God was rich in mercy and revealed that to me in the person of Jesus Christ. And I, I believed that if he had not shown himself to be merciful, if he had not shown himself to compassion, if he had not shown himself to be a God of, I would still be in Nineveh. This is why Paul says in Ephesians 2, 1 through 3, We were dead in the trespasses and sins following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, living in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. And we were by nature children of wrath. That's what I mean. We were Ninevites. But God didn't send Jonah. He sent Jesus. 
he sent, uh, he sent a better Jonah, right? Jonah had a word from God. Jesus was the word of God. Jonah responded to this call with selfishness and did what he wanted. Jesus responded to the call with selflessness and did what the Father wanted. Jonah served the Lord when it was convenient for him, when it was comfortable for him, and Jesus considered nothing, considered himself nothing, and he gave up everything in an act of mercy, in an act of compassion, in a life of of love. Jonah was resentful, and he was unmerciful, and he took off. Jesus was kind, and he was compassionate, and he came hard for me and for you. He was merciful. So I'm glad that God sent Jesus and not a Jonah. That God is rich in mercy because of the great love with which He has loved us. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, He made us alive together in Christ and raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So we, we, that's the way through... To live a life of mercy and compassion is to understand that that was God's posture to you in Christ. That he didn't send a prophet into your life. To, uh, he, sent, he sent his son into your life. But right now we got a prophet. Right now we got Jonah. And when you think about the absurdity of what Jonah was trying to accomplish by running, right... And how it all just kind of uh, initially kind of came together. I, I, there's, a, there's this place in the story where you can see that Jonah's got real momentum. Like he, that he, as he gets further and further into his journey, he's gaining more and more confidence that he's going to get away with this. Okay? Look, I mean, it's not, it's not the time of year to begin sailing long distances on the Mediterranean. But here is a ship ready to sail. Oh, the Lord must be in it. Ships to Tarshish from this area are extremely rare given the distance, but here is one waiting, and there's room, and I've got money. They take Venmo. We are, this is great. And I get a spot down in the belly, and I can stretch out, and I can sleep. Man, things are going so well for Jonah. He's going to get away with it. And sometimes when everything is going just right, we conclude that God's hand must be in it. Let me tell you, the circumstances, how well your circumstances are going are not the sign that God is in it. Just ask Jesus. Was God in that? Was God in that? Sometimes that's the case, but that's not the case all the time. We need to... We need something more concrete than our circumstances. We need the word. We need the truth of God. We need, to be be- we need to beware reading our circumstances in a way that actually contradicts the explicit word of the Lord. You, you're going to think, I, 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 was, um, I was pastoring this church in South Carolina. One of the things that I was not prepared to do was, was help people with their marriages. My marriage was fine. I was not prepared to help some that were broken. Um, and so fortunately, I had a relationship with a counseling center um, where I could you know, make referrals and whatnot. But I would have these initial conversations with folks. And I would say, this is over my head, helping you with the ability. I'm your pastor. I'm here for you. I want to talk and be available to you. But as far as like helping you with this marriage stuff that you're dealing with, Danny is your guy. 
and I'll make the soft handoff, and they and they would go and invest in Danny. And, what, and sometimes that was excellent, and sometimes it was sometimes it didn't work. And I would get I just particularly remember one 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 husband, you know, us connecting two or three years later, their marriage fell apart and they, they divorced. And we, he would say, man, you know, what, what happened? He said, would say, I, I just, <laughs> uh, it's, it's just, it's shocking. Um, I just, I felt very good about it. I felt like the Lord wanted me to do it. I just, I had a real peace about ending the, the marriage. Okay. Let's talk, let's break that down. Let's, let's, let's talk about that. Now, I understand there are circumstances associated that we just can't understand, but, but do you understand that the, the, the tendency that we have to read tea leaves to bring prosperity and comfort to, to the page and say, well, that's how I know God is speaking to me. We want to line up with Scripture. So look what happens uh, to Jonah in this regard. Verse 4. Everything's going right, right? Wrong. The Lord hurled a great wind on the sea. And such a great storm arose on the sea that the ship threatened to break apart. I love that verb hurl, right? Um, through is what it says in this ESV. Hurl is what it says in the ESV. Um, this, this is emphasizing God's intentional, like you can, you can see it, right? It's like skipping a rock, you know. Um, the intentional control pinpointing this wind right on the ship where Jonah sailed, and he's doing it as an act of mercy, which you're going to see. God truly is merciful to Jonah in this moment. Jonah is trying to run away from the Lord. He is trying to flee from the presence of the Lord because he doesn't believe that what the Lord has in mind is good. And And that is an act of mercy, even if it's a hurling wind in your life. So verses 5 through 12, the mariners were afraid. They each cried out to his God. They threw the ship's cargo into the sea to lighten the load. And Jonah had gone down to the lowest part of the vessel and had stretched out, fallen into a deep sleep. The captain approached him. What are you doing? Sound asleep. Get up. Call to your God. Maybe this God will consider us and we won't perish. Come on, the sailors said. Let's cast lots. Then we'll know who's to blame for this trouble that we're in. So they cast lots and the lot singled out Jonah. And they said to him, tell us. Who is to blame for this trouble that we're in? What is your business? Where are you from? What is your country? What people are you from? We need answers. And he said, well, I'm a Hebrew and I worship the Lord, the God of heavens. Listen to this. Who made the ocean, who made the sea that we're in and the dry land. And they were seized by a great fear and said, well, what is this you've done? The men knew he was fleeing from the Lord's presence because he told them. So they said to him, what should we do to you? They want to live He answered them, pick me up and throw me into the sea so that it will calm down for you. For I know that I am to blame for this great storm against you. There's a ton we could talk about here, but look at focus in on verse 12. What a difficult thing for Jonah to admit. He is to blame for their calamity. And now he's got to bear the judgment of God for his own sins so that they can be spared in their innocence. Verse 13 through 16. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land. Now there's some, they understand what's at stake here and they don't, they want to show some mercy. But they couldn't because the sea was raging against them more and more. 
So they called out to the Lord, Please, Lord, don't let us perish of this man's life. Who are they calling to now? You see that? Not our God, or they're each their God, not Jonah, you do your God. Now they're calling out to the Yahweh. Don't let us perish because of this man's life. Don't charge us with innocent blood, for you, Lord, have done just as you have pleased. And they picked up Jonah, and they threw him into the sea, and the sea stopped its raging, and the men were seized by great fear of the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord, and they made vows to the Lord. What do we have here? Well, we, we have this, we have this um, overall, um, in the narrative, this overall warning to us to beware of reading circumstances as a means of reflecting whether or not we're being obedient. What did God say? Is that what we're doing? That's how we know if we're being obedient. Not what did God say? Regardless of whether I'm doing or not, how are things going? Therefore, I must be okay with God. There's that. Um, there, there is the liberating power in Jonah's words here of confession. Let's live in reality. Let's talk truth to ourselves and see how God works when we're speaking the truth to ourselves. Not hiding, not being passive aggressive, not, you know, all the things that we like to do to kind of keep things nice and neat. Let's don't do that either. But there's, but what we really see here is that God is a God of mercy. Look at, it's related to verse 12. Look at verse 12. He answered them, pick me up, throw me into the sea so that it will calm down for you. For I know I am to blame for this great storm that is against you. You see, Jonah knew he was guilty. And he didn't get there quickly. He didn't get there easily, but he did get there. And he, so it's reluctant, but it's there. He bore God's judgment to liberate these men. And that satisfied God's wrath temporarily. It was an act of mercy, and the response from the Father was mercy toward these men. It was temporary, and it was for a few people. And what we see is a picture. What we see is a projection. What we see is a, um, in the line of redemptive history, we see a, a, a shadow, if you will, of Jesus, who is a better Jonah. Jonah was guilty. He recognized it. He bore God's judgment and he liberated a few men with it because the Lord was merciful toward them. But then we have Jesus, right? Jesus was innocent and he came willingly and he bore God's judgment to liberate people who were actually guilty, and not just a few, but for all who would believe. You see, Jonah... Is, is demonstrating for us what it looks like to serve a merciful God. 
It, it, he is demonstrating for us what it looks like to serve a merciful God and what it means to be a servant of the Lord and to bring mercy and to bring compassion and to bring love to those that we interact with. And when we do that, we are pointing people to someone who is better than ourselves, the one who was merciful toward us and saved us and made us like him, Jesus. So in this text, I, what I want you to take away is that Man, God is so merciful. He's so good. I, was, um, I went to the gym on Friday. You could probably not even tell. But I did. I went to the gym. And uh, I, was, I was listening to um, an old album. So we, we made a switch from Amazon Music to Apple Music in our family subscription. Okay, I know. I know, you're, I know, I'm caught up now. Thank you. And so what that's done is it's given us the opportunity to have like our own individual experiences inside of our own phone. So now, like if it, when Amazon was just one big account, I wasn't doing the whole family share thing because it was complicated. It made me kind of nauseous, so I just stopped doing it altogether and went to Apple, which made sense to me. But in Amazon, it would be like, okay, let's listen to your favorites. Well, that could have been anything from worship music to children's music to 80s music. Uh, to Christian hip-hop, to anything else, because it reflected the rainbow of fruit flavors of music in our family, right? Well, now Trey and Jono can open up their Apple Music, and like if they favorite something, it's their favorite, and it's not my favorite. So it's given us the opportunity to, like, when we favorite something, like, oh, I'm adding that to my library. I like that one. I like that one. And I was, so it's, it's getting smarter, and it's actually making me happy and not my seven-year-old. You know, It's like, oh, here's Colin Buchanan's Christian, okay, whatever. So children's music from 1987. So I, that's not, it's not in my library anymore. So anyway, I'm coming back from the gym, and one of these songs comes on from 2004, and it's just glorious gospel song. And, it, and, it, and I... Uh, in my introverted, hard-hearted self, I actually teared up. I actually cried a little bit in the car because of the lyrics. It said, um, I am my beloved's. Let's talk, this is Jesus. I am my beloved's, and my beloved is mine. And then, ah, chill bumps. The words are, so you, talking to me, you bring all of your history. I'm going to bring the bread and wine. He is merciful, y'all. You've got every reason in the world to be rejected by me. You've got no reason in the world to be rejected by him because of what Jesus has done on your behalf. You bring all your history. He's bringing bread and wine. And therefore, when you come together, you'll have a party where all the drinks are on him. Okay? Okay? That's your God. How now should we live with the people you want to reject? You need to bring some bread and wine to those relationships. That's what we need to do. Father, help us bring bread and wine because you did. You brought bread and wine to me. A self-righteous, smug, hypocrite with loads of history, loads of issues, loads of doubt, loads of pride, on and on and on it goes. And to that, when I came down and sat at the table, you brought your life in place of mine.
and your blood in place of mine. You are a God who is rich in mercy. Therefore, make me a person of mercy, gospel mercy, not a Jonah, make me a Jesus. Make me somebody who brings you as a mediator to all of my relationships, who joins in on the mission because of how good you are. And we ask that you would make that true of each of us and as a church corporately. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.